there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We've talked about scale of being, how there are higher and lower levels of intelligence. The higher levels, as we've discussed before, understand more and mean more. They mean more because at higher levels there's more meaning. At lower levels there's less meaning. So you can pretty much determine what kind of level your intelligence is operating at by the meaning that you get from things. If life is negative and meaningless and pointless and cynical and blah, 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 you're at a very low level of intelligence. doesn't mean that you're stupid. It just means that you're stuck in a low level of intelligence. And most people are pretty happy there. Most people don't really want to go any higher. And remember, it's all relative because it's a scale, like the ladder, that down here are the very low levels and up here are the higher levels. When we're in the lower levels, the higher levels are in the clouds for us. They may as well be in heaven because we don't see them, we don't know anything about them, we're not conscious of them. The higher levels can be aware of the lower levels and are aware of the lower levels, obviously, at least to some degree. Now, at the higher levels, you can get more meaning. So somebody does something in life. And if you're at a lower level, the meaning you get is negative. If you're at a higher level, then you immediately start to externally consider, not because that's something that you consciously do, but because it's something that just operates that way at higher levels. Just like being negative operates that way at lower levels. It's not something you make an effort to do. People don't make an effort to be negative. It looks like they do sometimes. It looks like, how could this person see everything negatively. They can't see it any other way. It's their level of intelligence. Now, a lot of people who hear this who are habitually negative get very upset that you're saying that their level of intelligence is what causes them to do that. But that's how you get meaning. You get meaning according to your level of intelligence. And it's not something, like I said, that you're conscious about. It's not something, oh, well, I'm going to be negative or I'm going to be positive or I'm going to externally consider. You can't help it. At whatever level you're at, that's the level you operate at. You operate according to the laws of that level. Now, if you're operating at level 96 and you're very negative, you're operating under 96 orders of laws. If you're operating a little bit higher at level 48, you're operating under 48 orders of laws. And so the higher you go, the fewer laws and the more freedom you have and the more meaning you get from things in life, the more meaning you get from everything. And as we know, we can't really raise our level of being without new meaning. But new meaning is hard to come by because in order to get new meaning, you have to start to see things in a new way. But you can't see things in a new way if you're happy with everything the way it is now or if you're unhappy with everything the way it is now. Really, to say you're happy with everything the way it is now, that the lower levels, what we are is we're unhappy with everything the way it is. Nothing's right, everything's wrong, and we can see that, which of course makes us think we're highly intelligent because we can see all the chinks and the dirt and the crud and the bad spots and the stupid things and the lies and all the things that life is full of, all the deception and all the violence and all the hatred and all the like that. So we think we're more intelligent than the people who don't live there. 
And this is what keeps us at lower levels, imagining that because we can see what's wrong with everything, we're somehow more intelligent than the people who don't pay any attention to all that, who operate at a different level. We can't imagine that they could get a different meaning from life if they were smart like us. How could Buddha get this meaning from life where he would treat everybody so kindly? How could Jesus get this meaning from life where he would save this woman caught in adultery and he saved her from being stoned? How could he be intelligent if he was getting that meaning? Doesn't he know an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth like all the Pharisees were saying? Stone people like this? This is what you're supposed to do. That's the meaning. That's what the law says. That's the way you should do it. But he had a whole different way of looking at things. We're talking about when intelligence is higher, you understand more and things mean more. Also, at the higher levels of intelligence, it's more deathless. Lower levels of intelligence, there's more death. Higher levels of intelligence, it's more deathless. It's not that easy to understand until you start to get the idea of what I'm talking about. When the intelligence of H12, hydrogen 12, which is obviously a couple steps above our ordinary level of intelligence, which is hydrogen 48. When hydrogen 12 enters art, for example, it's different than hydrogen 48 art. So if you look around in the room here, you'll see pretty much a lot of hydrogen 48 art. If you go to Paris, to the Louvre in Paris, you'll see some hydrogen 12 art. So what's the difference? The paintings here, they aren't going to last very long, but the paintings in the Louvre are deathless or more deathless. In other words, they last longer. The Mona Lisa, for example, that's more deathless than something your kid does and puts on the refrigerator with a refrigerator magnet. Even though it's precious to you, it's not as deathless as the Mona Lisa or The Last Supper or Van Gogh's Starry Night. Those are more deathless because hydrogen 12 has entered into that art. They were operating with a higher hydrogen when they did that than we operate when we do what we do. So all of those works of art are more deathless than ordinary works of art that we know about. That which is at a higher level is the cause of that which is at a lower level. This is a very difficult thing for us to grasp initially. We can grasp it intellectually, but it's very difficult for us to get into our emotional center, for us to get a lock on emotionally. The lower can't act on the higher, but the higher can act on the lower. This has to be this way. This is divine order. It has to be this way. If it were any other way, the entire universe would be chaos. If the lower acted on the higher, then you could change God's mind. You could change the laws. You could change anything you wanted. But because the higher acts on the lower and the lower can't act on the higher, you can't change anything you want. The only thing you can change, maybe, is yourself. And then you're going to have to go according to the same law of the higher acting on the lower. You're going to have to find something higher in yourself to act on something lower in yourself. You're going to have to have a better idea than the ideas that you have now if you're going to act on yourself to raise your level of being or to raise your level of intelligence in some way. Nothing takes place in us without a cause from the unmanifest world. Now, we're not much aware of this. We think that things just happen because other people are stupid or because other people are mean or because other people are bad or because other people are ignorant or whatever. We think that things happen because of that. We don't think things happen because there was a cause in the unmanifest world because we don't know anything about the unmanifest world. That's not where we live. We live right here in this manifest world, and this is the world that we believe in. It's interesting that in esoteric writings, they say, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. The unmanifest thought is the cause of the manifest action. 
The Golden Gate Bridge existed as an idea in the mind of the designer before one footing was poured. The whole bridge was in his head how it was going to be before they dug the first hole to pour concrete in and put steel in. An idea is more deathless. The idea of that bridge will be around long after the bridge. The idea of architecture will be around long after the architecture. What proceeds in scale is higher than what comes after. So an idea proceeds in scale the manifestation. What you're sitting on is an idea of something to sit on. From that single idea of something to sit on, billions and billions of chairs have been made. All kinds of different chairs. But that one idea preceded all of those chairs. The idea of something to sit on. The cause of a thing is at a higher level than the thing itself. The cause of the Golden Gate Bridge is at a higher level than the bridge itself. The cause of the chair is at a higher level than the chair itself. The cause of your life is at a higher level than your life itself. And this is what we need to get because this is where there is power for us. The power to transform, the power to change the way we think about things. And we do that by building ideas. You start with a basic idea and then you can build on that and reach higher and higher in scale with greater and greater ideas. But you have to start somewhere. The absolute is the highest or it's been said first cause. All being manifests from the unmanifest and the unmanifest is higher. So in the scale, the absolute is at the top. It is the cause of everything that comes from it. So that means that all this was caused by the absolute. And we have a problem with that because we judge all this and we think that some of this is good and some of this is bad. And because we can't take the same meaning from this, all this, that the absolute does, we can't see that meaning. To us, it looks wrong. And so we're in trouble because we're out here trying to fix all the things that are wrong or trying to resist all the things that are wrong. We're trying to shun all the things that are wrong. We have aversions to all the things that are wrong. And at higher levels, they're not wrong at all. It's just what happens when our intelligence is so low that we can't see the true meaning of things. The idea of home is another idea. The idea of a home has spawned billions of houses. All those houses will be gone, but the idea is more deathless than the houses themselves. So it's the unmanifest idea that preceded the manifest. And that's the way everything is. With the whole idea of an oak tree coated into an acorn, it still manifests one step at a time. The whole complete idea of an oak tree is encoded in the DNA of an acorn. Yet... It takes years for that acorn to turn into an oak tree. So why am I talking about this? Well, because there is an idea of who you really are, but it's going to take a long time to get there, and it's going to be step by step, and that step by step is a certain order, because order is heaven's first law. We have to go according to the order. We don't like that at our level of intelligence. We want miracles. We want things to just happen overnight. We don't even want to plant the acorn. We just want a tree. We don't like to wait. And it's because we don't have much meaning, because we don't have much understanding, because we don't have much intelligence. Now, remember, this is all in scale. Of course, we can look down the scale and see people and things that have less intelligence than us and make ourselves imagine that we are the cream of the crop, the crown of creation at the top of everything. But that's only because we fail to look up. And when we do look up, we can't see for the clouds. Hundreds of thousands have ideas that never manifest because they don't calculate second force opposing getting the unmanifest into the manifest. 
We used to have a guy who came here, and his father was an inventor. He called himself an inventor, and he was always inventing these things. And the stuff he invented was pretty much junk, and he never did anything with it. But he was always, I'm going to sell this invention, and I'm going to make all this money, I'm going to sell. And he never did. And it's because he never calculated second force. He never calculated what it was going to take to get that unmanifest idea into the manifest realm. So the idea of this thing being in every home, he didn't calculate that. He thought that was just going to happen because it was a good idea. But that's what a lot of inventors do. And that's what a lot of gamblers do, too. In fact, inventors and gamblers have a lot in common, haven't they? (laughs) So it was interesting to watch him because you couldn't explain it to him. Experiment and patience play a major role in overcoming second force. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Thomas Alba Edison tried hundreds and hundreds of different things for an element of a light bulb. That took a long time, a lot of experimentation, and a great deal of patience that most people would not put into that, which is why he got the name and everybody else got whatever they got. But he had the patience and he obviously had the willingness and the drive to experiment. And that's the only way you really overcome second force. Think about experiments and patience involved in the unmanifest man becoming manifest. I mean, just think about all of the time that it has taken for this manifest man that you are, this body that you are. Think all of the time and patience and the experimentation it took to get you here. If you look at it just from an evolutionary standpoint, just pond scum to this, to that, you know, to single cell organisms and, and all the way. Look at all the experimentation. Or just look back to what man was 50,000 years ago and what man is now. Or what man was 20,000 years ago and what man is now. There's a lot of experimentation, a lot of adaptation. And it's still going on all the time to make the unmanifest idea of a man manifest. The work says that the essence of a man comes from the stars. So what does that mean? Well, a lot of people take that physically. And they'll say, well, it means that you think that a meteor hit the earth and then people just grew up out of that. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that the essence of man comes from the stars. It means it comes from higher. It means it comes from higher than here, higher than the earth. The essence of man comes from higher than the earth. What are the stars? Well, the stars are the suns, aren't they? So then the essence of man comes from the realm of the suns. That's what it's saying. And what it's saying is it's coming from hydrogen 12 because that's the realm of the stars, hydrogen 12. So the essence of a man comes from hydrogen 12. That's really what it's saying. At least I think I have that right. If I don't, I'm sure that it's really going to matter to a lot of people who do have it right, and they're going to uh, be very upset. And to the people who just want to work on themselves, it's not going to matter at all because they're just going to continue to work on themselves, and they don't really care about the number. What they really care about is getting out of this. But some people just want to make sure that this is right, and they're here and they're going to stay here to make sure that everybody stays in line. So let me tell you something. I'm not staying here at age 48 to make sure that everybody does it right. If we can get out of age 48, if we can get to age 24, age 12, age 6, then we need to be working toward that, not worrying about what everybody else here is doing. That's my point with the whole get it right thing. You know, the best way to get it right is to do it, is to wake up. And when you wake up, then you can say what is actually so. But until then, it's all just theory. It's all just talk. Yeah, where was I? Oh, yeah. When the work says that the essence of man comes from the stars, it's just a way of saying higher precedes lower. That's all. Higher precedes lower or manifest. So you, this thing that you call yourself, is manifest from something unmanifest, from something higher. That's really all that we're talking about. 
Because this is true, we contain a universe within us. Now, you've heard the microcosm contains the macrocosm, and the macrocosm obviously contains the microcosm. You find, for example, it just rained yesterday, and it was kind of wild. You could go and look at a leaf on a plant or a tree, and if you looked at it just right, you could see all the surrounding area reflected in that little raindrop on that leaf. And we all know that there's no way that all that could fit in that little raindrop of water, a little droplet of water, but it did. And so in a sense, it's like that. You contain inside the entire universe, and the universe contains inside you. So the microcosm and the macrocosm contain each other, which is another way of saying there is a divine order. There is a law that operates through all of this, whether it's microcosm or macrocosm. This is good news for us, because if there are laws that operate in a certain way, then there are things that can be done. There are orderly things that can be done. It's not all chaos. It's not all happenstance and chance and, well, whatever. There's actually something to it. And then, of course, the downside of that is there are no victims, which means you're not a victim, which is you may be laughing or smiling about it, but that's not really how we feel when we feel like we're victims. We don't want people telling us we're not victims. We want to make them victims by hitting them on the head with something and cracking their skull to make them stop saying those things that we don't like to hear. If we understand that so above, so below, that the microcosm contains the macrocosm, that the macrocosm contains the microcosm and generates it, if we understand this, we can go with what is lower or higher in centers. This is what this means for us, that in our centers, in our thinking center, in our feeling center, in our sensing center, moving center, instinctive center, we can go with higher or lower bits in those centers. Let's take the thinking center. Let's say you have higher and lower thoughts. You have the option of going with either higher or lower thoughts. In order to get higher, then you have to go with the higher. In order to stay where you are, don't do anything. <laughs> just, just have a happy life, you know. Just continue to whine and kvetch and complain and be who you have been your whole life. And if you're one of those people that's always happy, then great, then do that. You know, whatever it is that you've been doing, then do that. You don't have to change a thing. You can just go with the line of least resistance. If you want to raise your level of being, on the other hand, if you want to reach higher levels of intelligence, if you want more meaning from life, if you want to find out why you're really here, then you're going to have to make some effort. I know. That's the hook. It's always the hook. We always come to that, oh, the effort part. I don't like that. All centers can work on a low level. It really doesn't take much. It doesn't take much effort at all for them to work on a low level. When we observe the work of centers, we learn to distinguish between them. So the first thing that this work asks us to do is to start to tell the difference between a thought and a feeling. <laughs> it seems so easy. And of course, most of us think we can do it. Yet, if you sit with someone who is objective or more objective than you, and they ask you what you think, nine out of ten times you'll tell them what you feel. If they ask you what you feel, nine out of ten times, maybe it's eight, but I'm not counting, but I'm sure someone is, eight out of ten times, they'll tell you what they think. Because we confuse our thoughts and our feelings because we don't observe our centers, because we don't know ourselves. And so this work aims at helping us to begin to observe ourselves so that we can begin to know ourselves, discover ourselves, or uncover ourselves, or bring ourselves to light. If we don't observe our thoughts, they work out into all sorts of horrors we could avoid if we were more awake. For example, how many people who get sick have any idea that their state of consciousness has contributed majorly to their illness? Well, they may have the idea, but I can tell you what happens with that idea. That's rejected. 
That's what happens with that idea. That goes in the reject pile. That's a stupid idea. That may be true for you. You may be sick because of your stinking thinking, but it's not true for me because I don't think like that. So there you are. Thoughts are unmanifest, but lead to action, which is manifest. They're the building blocks of change of being. We must start from the smallest manifest part to reach the hole, the same way the Golden Gate Bridge started with a hole in the ground. This is the funny thing about it. It's like, if the unmanifest manifests the manifest, then why not start with the unmanifest to change the manifest? Well, because that's not how it works for us. The way it works for us is we have to work where we are. And what we have to do is we have to hold the unmanifest in our minds while we change the way we do things. What good is it if you have a great idea and you don't do anything about it? So everybody knows better. They hold the idea, but they don't do anything about it. They know better, but they act worse. What good is that? Then you end up thinking that you know something, thinking that you are something, thinking that you're doing something, when the truth is you're just staying the same. You're an illusion. You've deceived yourself. And that's pretty much where we all are at some level of our lives. The cause of an action may be a thought that was accepted as true because nothing happens in us without a cause in the unmanifest. So let's say you've got, see, here's the thing. Let's say you're sick and someone comes along and they said, well, this because in the unmanifest, because your thoughts in the unmanifest are making this happen in the manifest. And you think, well, no, that's not true. That's not the way that is. You're not thinking any thoughts that are not true. You're not thinking any thoughts that are not good. You're not doing that. So how does that work? And how that works is you can believe something that isn't true. We have a host of attitudes and patterns and beliefs that are not true, but we don't know that. And those untrue beliefs and attitudes continually manifest this garbage in our lives. And we keep on wondering, where is it coming from? And we look to other people. Well, it's because of you. You're not treating me right. You didn't do this. You didn't say what you would do. You're a thief. You're a liar. You're nasty. You're mean. All of those things, rather than looking to the cause, which is in our own unmanifest realm. But we don't see that because we think that all of our ideas, all of our beliefs are true. We've accepted them as true. And when someone comes along and challenges it, we generally respond with some form of negativity that, of course, eventually, if the person presses it enough, will lead to violence, will crack their skull or something like that. Another way of saying that, again, in esoteric writings, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So here we are again. The mouth speaks out of the unmanifest, that which fills the heart. And the heart is where you believe. So whatever it is you've believed, whatever it is you've valued, whatever it is you've put your value into, that is the thing that you will manifest. And whatever it is you're manifesting is because you value some belief that isn't true. On the bright side, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. This is the truth. This is the way the universe works. We don't believe it. 
Now, what we have to do is somehow get some meaning out of this so that we can adjust our beliefs, we can adjust our way of thinking. Because the way we think now doesn't let this in. The way we think now, we have justifications, we have self-justification, we have all kinds of things that stop this from actually getting in and changing something inside of us. A thought enters the mind from a still higher unmanifest realm. And if you identify with that thought, it will become the cause of some action, some pain, or some illness. But I thought that everything that came from higher was good. No, it depends on where it's coming from higher, how much higher. Just a little higher than us isn't necessarily good. Let's face it, just among us. We find people who have higher intelligence, who are better, who have better levels of being. They're not perfect. We want them to be. We think they should be. We demand that of them. We require that of them. That's really our problem, isn't it? If you identify with the thought, you accept it. If accepted, it has power to work out into action. Once you've done this, you have to pay the consequences that are now beyond your control. Once that thought is in the manifest world, things are set in motion and you have to pay the consequences. It doesn't matter. You can change up here. It doesn't matter. The consequences are still rolling. This is a good thing to remember. Anyone can have a negative thought. But if you consent to it, then you are under its power. And as a result, you have all the consequences of that. Let's take a very coarse example. Someone hates someone else because they um, ran over their child in a car. They ran over their child, killed their child. So this person hates that person for doing that. That person doesn't seem repentant. He hit and run, tried to get away and whatever else. Let's just juice it up, make it something that we'll all get behind and say, yeah, that's wrong. That guy should be in jail. But the guy gets let off because they didn't have enough evidence or they didn't Mirandize him or whatever and he doesn't go to jail and he doesn't have to pay and he's not repentant and he goes and he killed your kid. And so now your negativity has led to violence. And so you go burn his house down with him in it or whatever. You may change your mind later and see that that was a bad idea to hold, that there was a bad idea to consent to. Those were some bad thoughts to consent to. But you still have the consequences to deal with, even after you've changed your mind. This is why it's so important to deal with these things in the unmanifest realm. Like I said, anybody can have a negative thought. If a negative thought enters the mind and you watch it, but not make friends with it, don't consent to it, you don't entertain it, you don't invite it in to tea, you'll tire of it and it will leave. You just watch it. You will get tired of it and it will leave. But if you consent to it, if you listen to any of its arguments... If you identify with it in any way, it then starts to exercise power over you. And then it will make you do what it wants to do. How does it do that? It can put you to sleep. It can hypnotize you. Eventually, it will stop coming to your mind for an audience if you simply watch it and don't identify with it or consent to it. How do you not consent with a really good idea like that guy needs to pay? Well, you don't consent to it by bringing a bigger, better idea to meet that idea. And a bigger, better idea to meet that idea is all this will work out. This is a just universe, whether it appears that way or not. Here, eventually, all this will work out. And not only that, but this is none of my business. I got bigger fish to fry, and the biggest fish I got to fry is myself. So I really don't need to be worrying about that person. I don't know what's in his heart, what's in his mind, but that's none of my business. Thoughts visit like birds in and out of a cage. 
Some are beautiful and most are not. And let's face it, most of the thoughts that visit in and out of the cage of your mind are not very beautiful. They're not very rare. They don't make sweet noises. They don't sing nice songs. They're not nice. They're not that great. Now, of course, it all depends on which level you open the door of the cage to. But mostly, we open the door of the cage to this level, hydrogen 48, or worse, hydrogen 96. You must work hard at observing the thinking center to understand and control this flight of thought birds in and out of the cage of your mind. You can't just do it once in a while, once a week. This is something you've got to pay attention to every day. This is something you've got to get into the habit of doing, of watching your thoughts of observing your thoughts and just not consenting with every thought that comes into your mind. Just because it comes into your mind is no reason for you to say, I think. No, you have a thought. There's a difference between you think and you have a thought. And it's a good difference because it'll give you just enough space to not identify with every single thought that comes into the cage of your mind, like a flighty little bird. In outer life, we learn to distinguish between crooks creeps, and people of goodwill. Internally, we've got to do the same thing with thoughts. We've got to learn to distinguish there are certain kinds of thoughts that just don't mean us any good. And we cannot invite them in. We cannot entertain them. We cannot consent to them and expect to have the kind of life that we are aiming at. This is all very basic stuff. But the problem with basic stuff is it's so simple that we think we can do it easily. Try it. And you will see that that is not true. Try not consenting to some of your thoughts. And you will see that that is not easy. It's very difficult to do because you have these habit patterns of thought and attitudes that continually hypnotize you, put you to sleep, and drag you off. You've got to really work at this. And there are no petty little thoughts that are not important. They're all to be observed. They're all important because it's the little ones that sneak in under the radar that do the most harm because later they bring more and more with them. Well, it reminds me of another thing. The demon goes out of a person and then it travels in dry places and it doesn't find any rest and it comes back and it finds the house well swept and clean and it brings seven other demons worse than itself back with it. Well, those demons are like thoughts, little birds. You throw one out, but you don't change anything inside of yourself. You don't close the door. You leave the doors and the windows open on that level. And that thought is going to come back with seven others worse than itself. That's what we're talking about here. That's one of the meanings of that. Internally, we're open to violence much more severe than the violence that we're open to out there. I was talking to a guy from Pakistan and uh, I said, well, how long have you been in America? And he told me, and he said how much he loved it here. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the greatest thing about America is you can walk the streets without having to worry about getting killed. He said, in Pakistan, it's not that way. People with guns, bad people are everywhere. And it's not safe. The streets are not safe. You really can't go out. And I thought, wow. We take it all for granted, of course. We take law and order for granted. We don't understand what it's like in other places until we've been to those other places. But internally, we're open to even more violence, and it's more severe than the violence that they experience in Pakistan. Internally, you are open to that violence, but we don't know that. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Your inner state makes your heaven or hell. Our task in life is to get the inner state in order. Our task in life is not getting all this out here in the manifest world in order. Don't bother with that. 
The consequences that are rolling out now that you have caused in the unmanifest previously, just work them out. But stop adding to them. And the only place to do that is in the unmanifest. And the place to start is in the intellectual center. The mind must change first. Begin to think in a new way. This work is to make you do that. That's what this work is about, to make you think in a new way. Think beyond what you now know. This is the most difficult step for people who have any kind of success at all. It's the most difficult step. If you do anything right, you think, you imagine you do everything right, and it just isn't true. But if you do one thing right, one thing, that's all you need to do, one thing right, then everything else, you start to imagine that you do everything right. And people who do everything right don't change the way they think. They try to change other people to think like they think. And they become huge pains in the posterior. Think beyond what you now know. Well, how do I do that? New ideas are the key. New ideas. But what do we do with new ideas? Rejection. Objection. We push them away. We don't like them because they don't fit with what we already know. But this is about changing the way we think. Changing what we already know. Getting new meaning. Notice your thoughts. Separate from those that make you negative. Otherwise, they will manifest into action and illness. Every event can be taken negatively, or a thought can be observed and not allowed to infect the emotional center. Every event is easily taken negatively, or you can observe it, not entertain it, not consent to it, not identify with it, and therefore it will not infect the emotional center. And once you stop infecting the emotional center, it's just a matter of time before it begins to heal and make room for real emotions. That's our goal. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.